You would turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2, we're going to look at this chapter. It's the uh, second account of uh, creation. And uh, as we'll read through it kind of piece by piece as we go through this tonight, um, not that the number is significant, I'm going to take it in 11 pieces. You don't have to write that down, but you'll... I just want to take it a bit at a time and see how God uh, works his way through this. But one of the things that you'll see as we go through this account is how different Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 is. And uh, the way we're going to be doing this tonight is we're going to look at the account of creation and kind of work our way through that, the creation account of Genesis 2. And then uh, we're going to look at the covenant life that's revealed in this chapter that's significant for us. And uh, that's going to be the bulk of our time. And then we're going to kind of wrap it up with the choice that Adam and Eve have. And then we know that they failed in their choice. And what is our hope and their hope is that uh, they, they broke the covenant, but God has provided a covenant keeper for our sake. And so we'll at least... Note that, uh, though that'll be developed in coming messages. So when we look at Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and we read through that, you'll see that these two uh, descriptions of creation, these two accounts of creation are very, very different. And there will be those who would say, well, there's an error, there's a mistake. If, If Genesis 1 is the order the chronological account, then there's something wrong in Genesis 2. There's an error there because it's quite different. Uh, After God creating the plants in the garden, then he creates Adam. Then he creates the animals looking for a helper for Adam. And then since none of them fit, then he creates Eve. So there's, you know, clearly a different order in a different point. Well, is there an error in the Bible? Well, no, there's no error in the Bible. There are, there's a different focus. There's no contradiction. Uh, and, a, and a couple things help us to appreciate the, as we just in an overview comparison of the two passages. Uh, the first cha- chapter, if we take it this way, is chronological. The second chapter is topical. Uh, the focus is on the creation of man and then his place in this kingdom that God has created. Another thing that's interesting as a change is that in Genesis 1, we see God's name, Elohim, as the focus. So uh, looking back in chapter 1, verse 27, begin there. So God, Elohim, created man in his own image. In the image of Elohim, he created him. And then you look at verse 28, same thing. And Elohim blessed them, and Elohim said to them. So the name Elohim is prominent. It's also there in in verse 29 and also there in verse 31. So in the first chapter, the focal point in terms of at least God's character is his divine power and his majesty. I mentioned to you that the word Elohim is a plural name. Uh, it, by implication, 
the Trinity is there. It's not a, an explicit explanation of it, but it's an implication there. But the, the plural is the plural of majesty. So chapter one is to focus on the majesty of God as the creator of the heavens and the earth. But we have a change in chapter two. And you see this beginning in verse four, where we'll begin tonight. Um, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And so we have a, a new name given to us of God in this chapter. And you see it there in the phrase, Lord God. Lord, all capital letters, Yahweh, Uh, So Yahweh Elohim is the focal point of this chapter. And the name Yahweh is the personal covenantal name for God. It's the name that God revealed particularly to Moses when uh, God was commissioning him to go back to Egypt and bring my people out. And Moses said, well, who should I say sent me to you? And the answer was, tell them, Yahweh, tell them the I am has sent you. And so we see this name repeatedly here in verse five, uh, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim um, is there doing his work. You go look at verse eight, the same thing. And the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim in verse nine and out of the ground, Yahweh Elohim. So What we're trying to to be given a picture of in this chapter, particularly as it relates to the character of God, is this intimate fellowship and communion uh, in a covenantal way that God is having with his creation. So it takes it more from a a more of a a majestic, mighty power creating to an intimate, loving, devoted care of God for man whom he is going to create. Uh, He's created his kingdom in chapter one. Now the focus is on, and, and man was mentioned in chapter one, but now more devoted, um, description of man's creation as God places Adam and Eve in that kingdom that God has created. And so I want to take it in these various pieces. And so we're going to read it a piece at a time to try to get the flow and see the distinction and the different aspects of what God is doing. So we come in verse four again. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And Our very first message on Genesis, remember we looked at in terms of the order and the outline of Genesis, this phrase about the generations and how throughout this book, we're going to see genealogies and family lineages and all that distinguished where God's focusing on his creation and his order and what he's doing. And here's the first one of those uses of those phrase. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. So God is wanting to give us, he could have put that at the beginning of the book and that would have been very appropriate. But here he puts it here as he's giving us a second account of creation. 
he highlights this aspect of God creating uh, Adam and Eve according to their generations. Then in verse two, excuse me, verse verses five and six, the second piece uh, is the conditions uh, prior to the creation of man. It says, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. So here is the creation of the earth, preparation for man to be created and no plants had been created yet. It was just the earth and uh, there was no rain, but God caused a mist to come up to water the land, which would then have caused the land to be fruitful and to uh, grow plants. <clears throat> and that's just kind of an interesting thing to tuck in the back of your minds, because when we get to the story of the flood in Genesis 6, and Moses is preaching and he's building this boat, uh, for, for one thing, there would have been probably no need for a boat that big. Um, but for another thing, when he talked about the heavens are going to be open and it's going to rain, it's like rain, what's rain? Uh, there would have been unbelief on the part of the people he was preaching to because maybe they possibly they had never seen rain. They had this mist watering the ground, but no rain. So we have uh, the the framework of this creation uh, coming together, but not yet all the things that man needed. Uh, But then we have the creation of man himself. And in verse seven, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. Remember the first chapter, God took counsel together and said, let us make man in our image. Here is the specific way God created man. The rest of creation, God spoke and it came to be. That's not how man was created. God could have spoken and man been created, but that's not how he did it. Uh, the, what he did, how he did it was he took some of the dust of the earth. That's why the previous verses are emphasizing the dirt because now God's going to take some of that dirt and form it into the form of a man and breathe into that form the breath of life. So it was dust. Um, Matthew Henry is interesting. He says, it's not gold dust. It's not emerald dust. It's just plain old dust. And God breathed into that dust the breath of life. And that's significant, not only in terms of God's intimate care and how he proceeds to create man, but it brings us a good parallel as we think about creation and redemption. For God to create man, he breathed into him the breath of life. So when God created man, he had to breathe into him the breath of life when God has to give the new creation to man after he had fallen, 
he has to breathe into him the breath of life. Uh, And that was part of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, where he talks about the Holy Spirit. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So to be a new creature in Christ, you have to have the breath of life breathe into you, which the Holy Spirit does that. So there's a very interesting and helpful comparison between creation and the new creation uh, that grows out of this as well. So God created man uh, out of the dust of the earth. And then we have God putting him in a garden in verse eight. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And just to continue the description of this garden, verse 10, and a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon, It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone are there. And the name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the river Euphrates. So God created the Garden of Eden. (laughs) The the dirt was mentioned before he created man. He created man and now uh, plants are growing. And one particular area of plants, the Garden of Eden, God framed for Adam to live in. Uh, The name of the rivers is interesting information. Uh, We were praying for uh, uh, Ryan uh, the, the Smith's nephew in Iraq and the Tigris and Euphrates are part of that region. <clears throat> Does that mean that's where the Garden of Eden was? Maybe. But it wouldn't matter after they fell because they were thrown out of the garden and prohibited from getting back to it. So even if that's the location, it's not like there's some kind of magical place you and I can find. The Garden of Eden, the water, the eternal the waters of eternal youth, this is not, not there for us. But God creates this garden, beautiful place. And of the plants that he created, there are two. And they'll come back as part of the story of the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So among all the trees and the fruit and everything that God had created for Adam, <clears throat> he, uh, there was those two specific trees Mentioned, And then we pick it up in verse 15. What is man supposed to do in this garden? It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And I'm going to come back to this thought in a minute, but uh, work is not a curse. Uh, to labor is not evil. And Adam's job was to work uh, from the very beginning. And his job was to tend the garden and to cultivate it and work, work the garden for God's sake. God had created this kingdom and a focal point of that kingdom was this garden. 
And Adam's responsibility as a vice regent to God was to tend what God had created. That was his responsibility. <clears throat> and then we have the assignment to Adam expanded in a very, very important way in verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Part of Adam's living in this world, just as it's part of our living in this world is that God gives us commands and you and I are to obey those commands And the command in the garden, his task was to tend the garden. His command in the garden, it's interesting, God gives a positive command first. You can eat of all the trees in all the garden. I want you to do that. I command you to do that. Eat, enjoy richly all that I've provided for you. But there is one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of that tree because on the day you eat of it, you will surely die. So there was a, there's a, a positive commands and there are, there's the negative command. Don't eat of that tree. And there are promises and there are uh, sanctions. There are positive sanctions. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will die. And God gives both here to Adam as he is commanding him. And then we find, remember the repetition throughout Genesis 1, on every day, and God saw that all that he had made, and it was good. And on the, 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 the end of his creation, and God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. <clears throat> well, part of the story is there was something that uh, God's going to find is not good. And we find that in verse 18 says, the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So there was something that God saw that wasn't good. And that is that man should be alone. Now you think, oh, wow, we get to the story of the woman. No, 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 don't, don't rush. She doesn't come into the story just yet. God's going to form a helper for Adam, but what does he do first? Uh, in verse 19, we're told, now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every, <clears throat> excuse me, every beast of the field and every bird of the heaven and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit or suitable for him. <clears throat> so God here, again, it's not the order of chapter one. God here forms the, the birds of the air, obviously implied the, the beasts of the sea, all the, the, the animals that live on the earth. And, and Adam is to give, he gave them all names. Now, here's where the skeptics and 
the unbelievers would, would kind of laugh that off. I mean, he just said gibberish and that happened to be the name. No, they, they totally misunderstand. Uh, Adam wasn't a moron. <clears throat> Adam was the most intelligent man that ever lived uh, because he not only had a mental capacity and intelligence, but he didn't have sin to mess it up. <clears throat> you and I have intelligence and mental capacity, but our sin gets in the way. It messes everything up. Listen to what Luther had to say. He says, I am fully convinced that before Adam's sin, his eyes were so sharp and clear that they surpassed those of the lynx and the eagle. He was stronger than the lions and the bears, whose strength is very great, and he handled them the way we handle puppies. If we are looking for an outstanding philosopher, let us not overlook our first parents while they were still free from sin. Eve would have been as strong, fast, clear-sighted, and brilliant as man, and in addition, a beauty and grace that excelled him. Uh, the misunderstanding of science is that man began in a cave and somehow worked his way up to uh, living in communities and intelligence. That's not the way it happened. Man began at the top. He was a glorious creature in God's image. But when he sinned, he he. he fell and descended into his primitive nature and he became a caveman. He didn't start as a caveman and ascend. He, he, he began at the top and descended into the cave. And sin does that uh, to all men. Well, uh, then the story continues. Now uh, women come into play because none of these animals were helpers suitable for Adam. And so what God does in verse 21, uh, so the end of verse 20, verse 20 is there was not found a helper suitable for him. So verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Uh, then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So we have this wonderful and beautiful account and story of the formation of a woman uh, she is a helper suitable for him. Uh, the terminology Adam uses here isn't really dynamic or magical. Uh, man is Ish, and he calls woman Isha. She's the feminine counterpart to him. And it's a beautiful provision of God for Adam in this woman who would be called Eve, the mother of all living. <clears throat> and Matthew Henry made the very familiar statement. You probably heard this before. He says, the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, 
nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. What a beautiful statement. Uh, we, all of us men need to make a copy of that and stick it in our Bibles and always have it near us. Uh, the contemporary or the, the long-standing problem of abuse should never happen because the woman was created as a helper suitable for the man and um, we men need the women. Uh, it's possible to think that apart from without sin, uh, there would have always been one man and one woman to be together. Uh, that's not saying that a person who's single is in, in sin. Uh, but God created us to be together. And it's extremely important that we appreciate uh, the, the, the glory and the wonder of that. <clears throat> Thinking of singleness, um, in general, this is my opinion, in general, women, if, they, if, if, if it happens to be their providential lot to be single, are usually pretty normal people. But men, if their lot is to be single, Many times they're just weird. <laughs> we need our wives to help train us up and frame us in, in, a, in an instructive way. That's, that's extremely important. And then the last piece in terms of the, uh, uh, in terms of the um, creation is verse um, 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Marriage is part of the, uh, the covenant life that God has created. <clears throat> and uh, we're almost to seven, and I really don't want to neglect the covenantal instructions here. So if you'll bear with me, I'm going to stop and... Pick this back up next time. So, Ryan, you have a little more time to get us ready for chapter three because uh, it's so important for us to appreciate the covenant life God has given to us that was true in the garden and continues to be true in all of our lives. It's, um, it's such an important thing that I don't want to uh, brush over it too quickly. So, let me close this in prayer and give thanks to God for his wonderful provision for us and help us to grow in our worship and love for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the rich and wonderful account of your creative work, particularly in your intimate and loving care in creating Adam and then subsequently Eve and uh, having them be made in your image and likeness uh, to govern over this world, to tend it and rule it uh, for, um, as, as, a, as servants of, your, of yours. We thank you for the richness and wonder of this creation and pray, O oh Lord, that you will just work in our hearts a love and a delight and, uh, for your faithfulness 
and your care in the intimate way that you've put all of this together. May you bless us as we enter this week and live according to your purposes and glory for us. And, and uh, we ask, O oh Lord, for you to be honored in all that we do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.